0: Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally, for most people, are the easy button, Right. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Tonight, I will be reading Gulliver's Travels by Jonathan Swift. So lie down, close your eyes, and let me read you a story. Chapter 1. My father had a small estate in Nottinghamshire. I was the third of five sons. He sent me to Emmanuel College in Cambridge at fourteen years old, where I resided three years, and applied myself close to my studies. But the charge of maintaining me, although I had a very scanty allowance, being too great for a narrow fortune, I was bound apprentice to Mr. James Bates an eminent surgeon in London, with whom I continued four years. My father, now and then sending me small sums of money, I'd laid them out in learning navigation and other parts of the mathematics, useful to those who intend to travel, as I always believed it would be, sometime or other, my fortune to do. When I left Mr. Bates, I went down to my father, where. By the assistance of him and my Uncle John, and some other relations, I got £40 and a promise of £30 a year to maintain me at Leyden. There, I studied physic two years and seven months, knowing it would be useful in long voyages. Soon after my return from Leyden, I was recommended by my good master, Mr. Bates, to be surgeon to the swallow. Captain. Abraham Panel, commander, with whom I continued three years and a half, making a voyage or two into the Levant and some other parts. When I came back, I resolved to settle in London, to which Mister Bates, my master, encouraged me, and by him I was recommended to several patients. I took part of a small house in the Old Jewry, and being advised to alter my condition, I married Mrs. Mary Burton, second daughter to Mr. Edmund Burton, hosier, in Newgate Street, with whom I received four hundred pounds for a portion. But my good masturbates dying in two years after, and I having few friends, my business began to fail, for my conscience would not suffer me to imitate the bad practice of too many among my brethren. Having therefore consulted with my wife and some of my acquaintance, I determined to go again to sea. I was surgeon successively in two ships and made several voyages for six years to the East and West Indies, by which I got some addition to my fortune. My hours of leisure I spent in reading the best authors, ancient and modern being always provided with a good number of books, and, when I was ashore, in observing the manners and dispositions of the people, as well as learning their language, wherein I had a great facility by the strength of my memory. The last of these voyages, not proving very fortunate, I grew weary of the sea, and intended to stay at home with my wife and family. I removed from the old Jewry to Fetter Lane, and from thence to Wapping, Hoping to get business among the sailors, but it would not turn to account. After three years' expectation that things would mend, I accepted an advantageous offer from Captain William Pritchard, master of the Antelope, who was making a voyage to the South Sea. We set sail from Bristol, May 4, 1699, and our voyage was at first very prosperous. It would not be proper. For some reasons, to trouble the reader with the particulars of our adventures in those seas, let it suffice to inform him that in our voyage from thence to the East Indies, we were driven by a violent storm to the northwest of Van Diemen's Land. By an observation, we found ourselves in the latitude of thirty degrees two minutes south. Twelve of our crew were dead by immoderate labor and ill food; the rest were in a very weak condition. On the 5th of November, which was the beginning of summer in those parts, the weather being very hazy, the seamen spied a rock within half a cable's length of the ship, but the wind was so strong that we were driven directly upon it and immediately split. Six of the crew, of whom I was one, having let down the boat into the sea, made a shift to get clear of the ship and the rock. We rowed, by my computation, about three leagues, till we were able to work no longer, being already spent with labour while we were in the ship. We therefore trusted ourselves to the mercy of the waves, and in about half an hour, the boat was overset by a sudden flurry from the north. What became of my companions in the boat, as well as of those who escaped on the rock or were left in the vessel, I cannot tell but conclude they were all lost. For my own part, I swam as fortune directed me and was pushed forward by wind and tide. I often let my legs drop and could feel no bottom, but when I was almost gone and able to struggle no longer, I found myself within my depth, and by this time the storm was much abated. The declivity was so small That I walked near a mile before I got to the shore, which I conjectured was about eight o'clock in the evening. I then advanced forward near half a mile, but could not discover any sign of houses or inhabitants. At least, I was in so weak a condition that I did not observe them. I was extremely tired, and with that, and the heat of the weather, and about half a pint of brandy that I drank as I left the ship, I found myself much inclined to sleep. I lay on the grass, which was very short and soft, where I slept sounder than I ever remembered to have done in my life, and, as I reckoned, about nine hours, for when I awakened, it was just daylight. I attempted to rise, but was not able to stir, for as I happened to lie on my back, I found my arms and legs were strongly fastened on each side to the ground and my hair, which was long and thick, tied down in the same manner. I likewise felt several slender ligatures across my body, from my armpits to my thighs. I could only look upwards. The sun began to grow hot, and the light offended my eyes. I heard a confused noise about me, but, in the posture I lay, could see nothing except the sky. In a little time, I felt something alive moving on my left leg, which, advancing gently forward over my breast, came almost up to my chin, when, bending my eyes downwards as much as I could, I perceived it to be a human creature, not six inches high, with a bow and arrow in his hands, and a quiver at his back. In the meantime, I felt at least forty more of the same kind, following the first. I was in the utmost astonishment, and roared so loud that they all ran back in fright. And some of them, as I was afterwards told, were hurt with the falls they got by leaping from my sides upon the ground. However, they soon returned, and one of them, who ventured so far as to get a full sight of my face, lifting up his hands and eyes by way of admiration, cried out in a shrill but distinct voice. Hekana de Gou. The others repeated the same words several times, but then I knew not what they meant. I lay all this while, as the reader may believe, in great uneasiness. At length, struggling to get loose, I had the fortune to break the strings and wrench out the pegs that fastened my left arm to the ground, for, by lifting it up to my face, I discovered the methods they had taken to bind me, and at the same time, with a violent pull, which gave me excessive pain, I a little loosened the strings that tied down my hair on the left side, so that I was just able to turn my head about two inches. But the creatures ran off a second time before I could seize them. whereupon there was a great shout and a very shrill accent, and after it ceased, I heard one of them cry aloud, Fonak, when in an instant I felt above a hundred arrows discharged on my left hand, which pricked me like so many needles. And besides, they shot another flight into the air, as we do bombs in Europe, whereof many, I suppose, fell on my body, though I felt them not, and some on my face, which I immediately covered with my left hand. When this shower of arrows was over, I fell a groaning with grief and pain, and then striving again to get loose, they discharged another volley larger than the first, and some of them attempted with spears to stick me in the sides, but by good luck I had on a buff jerkin which they could not pierce. I thought it the most prudent method to lie still, and my design was to continue so till night, when my left hand, being already loose, I could easily free myself and, as for the inhabitants, I had reason to believe I might be a match for the greatest army they could bring against me, if they were all of the same size with him that I saw. But fortune disposed otherwise of me. When the people observed I was quiet, they discharged no more arrows, but by the noise I heard, I knew their numbers increased, and about four yards from me, over against my right ear, I heard a knocking. For above an hour, like that of people at work, when turning my head that way, as well as the pegs and strings would permit me, I saw a stage erected about a foot and a half from the ground, capable of holding four of the inhabitants, with two or three ladders to mount it, from whence one of them, who seemed to be a person of quality, made me a long speech, whereof I understood not one syllable but I should have mentioned that before the principal person began his oration, he cried out three times, Langru de These words in the former were afterwards repeated and explained to me, whereupon immediately about fifty of the inhabitants came and cut the strings that fastened the left side of my head, which gave me the liberty of turning it to the right and of observing the person and gesture of him that was to speak. He appeared to be of a middle age and taller than any of the other three who attended him, whereof one was a page that held up his train and seemed to be somewhat longer than my middle finger. The other two stood, one on each side, to support him. He acted every part of an orator, and I could observe many periods of threatenings and others of promises, pity and kindness. I answered in a few words, but in the most submissive manner lifting up my left hand and both my eyes to the sun as calling him for a witness. And being almost famished with hunger, having not eaten a morsel for some hours before I left the ship, I found the demands of nature so strong upon me that I could not forbear showing my impatience, perhaps against the strict rules of decency, by putting my finger frequently to my mouth to signify that I wanted food. The Hurgo for so they call a great lord, as I afterwards learnt. Understood me very well. He descended from the stage, and commanded that several ladders should be applied to my sides, on which above a hundred of the inhabitants mounted and walked towards my mouth, laden with baskets full of meat, which had been provided and sent thither by the king's orders. Upon the first intelligence he received of me. I observed there was the flesh of several animals, but could not distinguish them by taste. There were shoulders, legs, and loins, shaped like those of mutton, and very well-dressed, but smaller than the wings of a lark. I ate them by two or three at a mouthful, and took three loaves at a time, about the bigness of musket bullets. They supplied me as fast as they could, showing a thousand marks of wonder and astonishment, at my bulk and appetite. I then made another sign that I wanted drink. They found by my eating that a small quantity would not suffice me, and being a most ingenious people, they slung up with great dexterity, one of their largest hogsheads, then rolled it towards my hand, and beat out the top. I drank it off at a draught, which I might well do, for it did not hold half a pint, and tasted like a small wine of burgundy but much more delicious. They brought me a second hogshead, which I drank in the same manner, and made signs for more, but they had none to give me. When I had performed these wonders, they shouted for joy and danced upon my breast, repeating several times, as they did at first, Hecana de ghoul." They made me a sign that I should throw down the two hogsheads, but first warning the people below to stand out of the way, crying aloud, barak mavola and when they saw the vessels in the air there was a universal shout of hekanat gagool i confess i was often tempted while they were passing backwards and forwards on my body to seize forty or fifty of the first that came in my reach and dash them against the ground but the remembrance of what i had felt which probably might not be the worst they could do and the promise of honor i made them for so I interpreted my submissive behavior, soon drove out these imaginations. Besides, I now considered myself as bound by the laws of hospitality to a people who treated me with so much expense and magnificence. However, in my thoughts, I could not sufficiently wonder at the intrepidity of these diminutive mortals, who durst venture to mount and walk upon my body, while one of my hands was at liberty without trembling at the very sight of so prodigious a creature as I must appear to them. After some time, when they observed that I had made no more demands for meat, there appeared before me a person of high rank from his imperial majesty. His Excellency, having mounted on the small of my right leg, advanced forwards up to my face with about a dozen of his retinue and producing his credentials under the signet royal, which he applied close to my eyes, spoke about ten minutes without any signs of anger, but with a kind of determinate resolution, often pointing forwards, which, as I afterwards found, was towards the capital city, about half a mile distance, whether it was agreed by his majesty and council, that I must be conveyed. I answered in few words, but to no purpose, and made a sign with my hand that was loose, putting it to the other, but over His Excellency's head, for fear of hurting him or his train, and then to my own head and body, to signify that I desired my liberty. It appeared that he understood me well enough, for he shook his head by way of disapprobation, and held his hand in a posture to show that I must be carried as a prisoner. However, He made other signs to let me understand that I should have meat and drink enough and very good treatment. Whereupon I once more thought of attempting to break my bonds, but again, when I felt the smart of their arrows upon my face and hands, which were all in blisters, and many of the darts still sticking in them, and observing likewise that number of my enemies increased, I gave tokens to let them know that they might do with me What they pleased. Upon this, the Hurgo and his train withdrew, with much civility and cheerful countenances. Soon after, I heard a general shout with frequent repetitions of the words, Peplum Salan, and I felt great numbers of people on my left side relaxing the cords to such a degree that I was able to turn upon my right and to ease myself with making water, which I very plentifully did to the great astonishment of the people, who, conjecturing by my motion what I was going to do, immediately opened to the right and left on that side to avoid the torrent which fell with some noise and violence from me. But before this they had daubed my face and my hands with some sort of ointment, very pleasant to the smell, which, in a few minutes, removed all the smart of their arrows. These circumstances, added to the refreshment I had received by their victuals and drink, which were very nourishing, disposed me to sleep. I slept about eight hours, as I was afterwards assured, and it was no wonder, for the physicians, by the Emperor's order, had mingled a sleepy potion in the hogsheads of wine. It seems that upon the first moment I was discovered sleeping on the ground, after my landing, The Emperor had early notice of it by an express, and determined in council that I should be tied in the manner I have related, which was done in the night while I slept, that plenty of meat and drink should be sent to me, and a machine prepared to carry me to the capital city. This resolution, perhaps, may appear very bold and dangerous, and I am confident would not be imitated by any prince in Europe on the like occasion. However, in my opinion, It was extremely prudent, as well as generous, for supposing these people had endeavoured to kill me with their spears and arrows while I was asleep, I should certainly have awakened with the first sense of smart, which might so far have roused my rage and strength as to have enabled me to break the strings wherewith I was tied, after which, as they were not able to make resistance, they could expect no mercy. These people were almost excellent mathematicians and arrived to a great perfection in mechanics by the countenance and encouragement of their emperor, who is a renowned patron of learning. This prince has several machines fixed on wheels for the carriage of trees and other great weights. He often builds his largest men of war, whereof some are nine feet long, in the woods where the timber grows, and has them carried on these engines Three or four hundred yards to the sea. Five hundred carpenters and engineers were immediately set to work to prepare the greatest engine they had. It was a frame of wood raised three inches from the ground, about seven feet long and four wide, moving upon twenty two wheels. The shout I heard was upon the arrival of this engine, which, it seems, set out in four hours after my landing. It was brought parallel to me as I lay but the principal difficulty was to raise and place me in this vehicle. Eighty poles, each of one foot high, were erected for this purpose, and very strong cords of the bigness of pack thread were fastened by hooks to many bandages, which the workmen had girt round my neck, my hands, my body, and my legs. Nine hundred of the strongest men were employed to draw up these cords by many pulleys, Fastened on the poles, and thus, in less than three hours, I was raised and slung into the engine, and there tied fast. All this I was told, for while the operation was performing, I lay in a profound sleep by the force of that soporific medicine infused into my liquor. Fifteen hundred of the Emperor's largest horses, each about four inches and a half high, were employed to draw me towards the metropolis which, as I said, was half a mile distant. About four hours after we began our journey, I awaked by a very ridiculous accident for the carriage being stopped a while to adjust something that was out of order. Two or three of the young natives had the curiosity to see how I looked when I was asleep. They climbed up into the engine and advancing very softly to my face, one of them, an officer in the guards put the sharp end of his half pike a good way up into my left nostril, which tickled my nose like a straw and made me sneeze violently, whereupon they stole off unperceived, and it was three weeks before I knew the cause of my waking so suddenly. We made a long march the remaining part of the day and rested at night with five hundred guards on each side of me, half with torches and half with bows and arrows ready to shoot me if I should offer to stir. The next morning at sunrise, we continued our march and arrived within two hundred yards of the city gates about noon. The emperor and all his court came out to meet us, but his great officers would by no means suffer his majesty to endanger his person by mounting on my body. At the place where the carriage stopped, there stood an ancient temple. Esteemed to be the largest in the whole kingdom, which, having been polluted some years before by an unnatural murder, was, according to the zeal of those people, looked upon as profane, and therefore had been applied to common use, and all the ornaments and furniture carried away. In this edifice it was determined I should lodge. The great gate fronting to the north was about four feet high and almost two feet wide. Through which I could easily creep. On each side of the gate was a small window, not above six inches from the ground. Into that, on the left side, the kingsmith conveyed four score and eleven chains, like those that hang to a lady's watch in Europe, and almost as large, which were locked to my left leg with six and thirty padlocks. Over against this temple, on the other side of a great highway, at twenty feet distance, there was a Tourette, at least five feet high. Here the Emperor ascended, with many principal lords of his court, to have an opportunity of viewing me, as I was told, for I could not see them. It was reckoned that above a hundred thousand inhabitants came out of the town upon the same errand, and, in spite of my guards, I believe there could not be fewer than ten thousand at several times who mounted my body by the help of ladders. But a proclamation was soon issued to forbid it upon pain of death. When the workmen found it was impossible for me to break loose, they cut all the strings that bound me, whereupon I rose up with as melancholy a disposition as I'd ever had in my life. But the noise and astonishment of the people at seeing me rise and walk are not to be expressed. The chains that held my left leg were about two yards long, and gave me not only the liberty of walking backwards and forwards in a semicircle, but being fixed within four inches of the gate allowed me to creep in and lie at my full length in the temple. Chapter 2 When I found myself on my feet, I looked about me, and I must confess I never beheld a more entertaining prospect. The country around appeared like a continued garden, and the enclosed fields which were generally forty feet square, resembled so many beds of flowers. These fields were intermingled with woods of half a stang, and the tallest trees, as I could judge, appeared to be seven feet high. I viewed the town on my left hand, which looked like the painted scene of a city in a theatre. I had been for some hours extremely pressed by the necessities of nature, which was no wonder. It being almost two days since I had last disburdened myself, I was under great difficulties between urgency and shame. The best expedient I could think of was to creep into my house, which I accordingly did, and shutting the gate after me, I went as far as the length of my chain would suffer, and discharged my body of that uneasy load. But this was the only time I was ever guilty of so uncleanly an action, for which, I cannot but hope the candid reader will give some allowance, after he has maturely and impartially considered my case, and the distress I was in. From this time my constant practice was, as soon as I rose, to perform that business in open air, at the full extent of my chain, and due care was taken every morning before company came, that the offensive matter should be carried off in wheelbarrows by two servants appointed for that purpose. I would not have dwelt so long upon a circumstance that, perhaps at first sight, may not appear very momentous, if I had not thought it necessary to justify my character in point of cleanliness to the world, which I am told some of my maligners have been pleased upon this and other occasions to call into question. When this adventure was at an end, I came back out of my house, having occasion for fresh air. The emperor was already descended from the tower, and advancing on horseback towards me, which had liked to have cost him dare, for the beast, though very well trained, yet wholly unused to such sight, which appeared as if a mountain moved before him, reared up upon its hinder feet. But that prince, who is an excellent horseman, kept his seat till his attendants ran in, and held the bridle, while his majesty had time to dismount. When he alighted, He surveyed me round with great admiration, but kept beyond the length of my chain. He ordered his cooks and butlers, who were already prepared, to give me victuals and drink, which they pushed forward in a sort of vehicles upon wheels till I could reach them. I took these vehicles and soon emptied them all. Twenty of them were filled with meat and ten with liquor. Each of the former afforded me two or three good mouthfuls. And I emptied the liquor of ten vessels, which was contained in earthen vials, into one vehicle, drinking it off at a draught, and so I did with the rest. The Empress and the young princes of the blood of both sexes, attended by many ladies, sat at some distance in their chairs, and upon the accident that happened to the Emperor's horse, they alighted and came near his person, which I am now going to describe. He is taller by almost the breadth of my nail, than any of his court, which alone is enough to strike an awe into the beholders. His features are strong and masculine, with an Austrian lip and arched nose, his complexion olive, his countenance erect, his body and limbs well proportioned, all his motions graceful, and his deportment majestic. He was then past his prime, being twenty-eight years and three-quarters old, of which he had reigned about seven in great felicity, and generally victorious. For the better convenience of beholding him, I lay on my side, so that my face was parallel to his, and he stood about three yards off. However, I have had him since many times in my hand, and therefore cannot be deceived in the description. His dress was very plain and simple, and the fashion of it between the Asiatic and the European, and he had on his head a light helmet of gold, adorned with jewels, and a plume on the crest. He held his sword down in his hand to defend himself, if I should happen to break loose. It was almost three inches long. The hilt and scabbard were gold-enriched with diamonds. His voice was shrill, but very clear and articulate, and I could distinctly hear it when I stood up. The ladies and the courtiers were all most magnificently clad, so that the spot they stood upon seemed to resemble a petticoat spread upon the ground, embroidered with figures of gold and silver. His imperial majesty spoke often to me, and I returned answers, but neither of us could understand a syllable. There were several of his priests and lawyers' present, as I conjectured by their habits, who were commanded to address themselves to me, and I spoke to them in as many languages as I had the least smattering of, Which were high and low Dutch, Latin, French, Spanish, Italian, and lingua franca, but all to no purpose. After about two hours, the court retired, and I was left with a strong guard to prevent the impertinence and probably the malice of the rabble, who were very impatient to crowd about me as near as they durst, and some of them had the impudence to shoot their arrows at me as I sat on the ground by the door of my house whereof one, very narrowly, missed my left eye. For the colonel ordered six of the ringleaders to be seized, and thought no punishment so proper as to deliver them bound into my hands, which some of his soldiers accordingly did, pushing them forward with the butt-ends of their spikes into my reach. I took them all in my right hand, put five of them into my coat pocket, and, as to the sixth, I made a countenance as if I would eat him alive. The poor man squalled terribly, and the colonel and his officers were in much pain, especially when they saw me take out my penknife, but I soon put them out of fear, for looking mildly and immediately, cutting the strings he was bound with, I set him gently on the ground, and away he ran. I treated the rest in the same manner, taking them one by one out of my pocket, and observed both the soldiers and the people were highly delighted, At this mark of my clemency, which was represented very much to my advantage at court. Towards night, I got with some difficulty into my house, where I lay down on the ground, and continued to do so about a fortnight, during which time the emperor gave orders to have a bed prepared for me. Six hundred beds of the common measure were brought in carriages and worked up in my house, a hundred and fifty of their beds sewn together made up the breadth and length, and these were four double, which, however, kept me, but very indifferently, from the hardness of the floor that was of smooth stone. By the same computation, they provided me with sheets, blankets, and coverlets, tolerable enough for one who'd been so long inured to hardships. As the news of my arrival spread through the kingdom, it brought prodigious numbers of rich, idle, and curious people to see me, so that the villages were almost emptied, and great neglect of tillage and household affairs must have ensued, if his imperial majesty had not provided, by several proclamations and orders of state, against this inconveniency. He directed that those who had already beheld me should return home, and not presume to come within fifty yards of my house without license from the court, whereby the secretaries of state got considerable fees. In the meantime, the emperor held frequent councils, to debate what course should be taken with me, and I was afterwards assured by a particular friend, a person of great quality, who was as much in the secret as any, that the court was under many difficulties concerning me. They apprehended my breaking loose, that my diet would be very expensive and might cause a famine. Sometimes they determined to starve me, or at least to shoot me in the face and hand with poison arrows, which would soon dispatch me. But again, they considered that the stench of so large a carcass might produce a plague in the metropolis, and probably spread through the whole kingdom. In the midst of these consultations, several officers of the army went to the door of the great council chamber, and two of them, being admitted, gave an account of my behaviour to the six criminals above mentioned, which made so favourable an impression in the breast of His Majesty and the whole board in my behalf that an imperial commission. Was issued out, obliging all the villages, nine hundred yards round the city, to deliver in every morning six beeves, forty sheep, and other victuals for my sustenance, together with a proportional quantity of bread and wine, and other liquors, for the due payment of which His Majesty gave assignments upon His Treasury. For this prince lives chiefly upon his own domains, seldom, except upon great occasions, raising any subsidies upon his subjects, were bound to attend him in his wars at their own expense. An establishment was also made of six hundred persons to be my domestics, who had board wages allowed for their maintenance, and tents built for them very conveniently on each side of my door. It was likewise ordered that three hundred tailors should make me a suit of clothes, after the fashion of the country that six of his majesty's greatest scholars should be employed to instruct me in their language, and lastly, that the emperor's horses and those of the nobility and troops of guards should be frequently exercised in my sight to accustom themselves to me. All these orders were duly put in execution, and in about three weeks I made a great progress in learning their language, during which time the emperor frequently honoured me with his visits and was pleased to assist my masters in teaching me. We began already to converse together in some sort, and the first words I learnt were to express my desire that he would please give me my liberty, which I every day repeated on my knees. His answer, as I could comprehend it, was that this must be a work of time, not to be thought on without the advice of his counsel, and that first I must swear peace with him and his kingdom. However, that I should be used with all kindness. And he advised me to acquire by my patience and discreet behavior the good opinion of himself and his subjects. He desired I would not take it ill if he gave orders to certain proper officers to search me, for probably I might carry about me several weapons, which must needs be dangerous things if they answered the bulk of so prodigious a person. I said his majesty should be satisfied, for I was ready to strip myself and turn up my pockets before him. This I delivered part in words and part in signs. He replied that by the laws of the kingdom I must be searched by two of his officers, that he knew this could not be done without my consent and assistance, and he had so good an opinion of my generosity and justice as to trust their persons in my hands, that whatever they took from me should be returned when I left the country or paid for at a rate which I would set upon them. I took up the two officers in my hands put them first into my coat pockets and then into every other pocket about me except my two fobs and another secret pocket which i had no mind should be searched wherein i had some little necessaries that were of no consequence to any but myself in one of my fobs there was a silver watch and in another a small quantity of gold in a purse these gentlemen having pen ink and paper about them made an exact inventory of everything they saw, and when they had done, desired, I would set them down that they might deliver it to the emperor.